Today on Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, learn how to live fully despite the emptiness you might be feeling. If you are not living in fullness, it's not because God doesn't want you to be full. It's because you haven't tapped into on how God intends to fill you. Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job. Mark is the senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago, and he's also the president of Moody Bible Institute. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Well, the end of the year is just ahead of us, and you know what that means, Mark, New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> yep. I think it's pretty common for people to want to make changes, but then the rubber meets the road, and they realize that making change takes a lot of work, and the feelings of despair and even emptiness set in, do you think? Yeah, it is an interesting time of the year because it's a time of sort of new expectations, new hope. And by the way, by the way, can I say this? There's a whole lot of people, millions of people saying, thank goodness 2020 <laughs> yeah, is it's over. It's nearly over. We're not quite at the finish line, but no, just real close. it's close. <laughs> and some of you are sprinting towards the finish line. 2020 couldn't be over quick enough. But I do think that as we jump into John chapter 2 today, we're going to learn that Jesus is someone that makes things new. He takes the empty and he fills it. He's the uh, renewer of things. Mm -hmm. And as we jump into this passage, um, I think there's a lot of people as you go into this next year— if you're going on empty, if you feel like you have just poured everything out and you're feeling a dryness of your soul, this message is going to encourage you. The message is entitled, Moving Past Empty. Here's Mark Job. All of us have felt the frustration of feeling like it should be full right now, but it's empty. How about it? I mean, I've had that happen to me a couple times just on a minor scale. I've had a long day at work. I've skipped lunch, so I'm kind of hungry and tired and cranky. And I'm on, on my way home, and I'm thinking I'm going to get home, and I'm going to make myself a good, nice turkey sandwich on rye bread. Slap on the mayonnaise, slice the tomato, put some lettuce on there, have a nice juicy sandwich. And on top of that, I can't wait to put some Doritos right there just to make it healthier. Get home, start doing it, put the plate together, get the sandwich ready. I go into the pantry, grab for that bag of Doritos that I know I bought yesterday, and it was nice and full, just asking for me to eat it. And when I grab the bag, yeah. You've, you know what I'm talking about. I grab the bag and it's like, hey, who's been in the Doritos? I shake it a little bit and say, it doesn't look like there's a lot in here. I open it up and crumbs at the bottom. Crumbs at the bottom. In the flesh, I'm saying, who ate my Doritos? So I pour it out as much as I can and put my finger inside the bag like this just to taste the Doritos. But you know what? I'm disappointed because I thought it was full. I've been thinking about it, wanting it to be full, but when I get it, it's empty. And there's a feeling like, hey, it should be full, but it's empty. Now, Doritos is one thing. Life and bigger issues, it's a whole nother thing, isn't it? That 19-year-old 
college kid that goes off to college expecting that this is going to be the funnest, greatest time of their life. They've been looking forward to getting rid of high school, going to college, yet they find themselves on a Friday night in a dorm by themselves feeling lonely and isolated, thinking, I should be full right now. Why do I feel empty? That woman that got married and her dream was to have a family and have a couple of kids and the house and the car and just that's what she longed for. That was going to be the greatest days of her life. But there she is late at night at the kitchen table, her hand in her head, stirring her tea, thinking, why do I feel so empty right now? This should be a full time in my life, but I just feel like it's empty. I believe that we all go through seasons of life where emptiness plagues us. And today I want us to think about it for a moment and look at a passage I feel like deals with the emptiness issue. It's found in John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. This story itself deals with emptiness and fullness and what Jesus has to say about it. So I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2 as we look at this powerful yet simple story. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of John chapter 2. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. Word of the Lord. As we look at this passage here, and as you think of your own life moving past empty, there's a couple of principles I want to give you if you are feeling like this chapter in life has the sting of emptiness on it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, we can all end up empty at the most unexpected seasons of our life. Think about it. This was a wedding. This was the wedding that this girl had been dreaming about forever. The Bible tells us that Jesus was attending the wedding with his disciples and his mother. We don't know if it was a relative of Jesus or just a neighbor that he knew, but nonetheless, Mary was there and seemed to have some confidence and some ownership of this wedding. Jesus was there and he tagged along with several of his disciples. You've been to those weddings, right? You invite one person and they say, by the way, my cousin's cousin, my aunt's coming, they're in town. We all have those kind of relatives. Well, Jesus shows up with his disciples and something for a Jewish wedding that is just embarrassing, that is just unheard of, that people would talk about for a long time. In the middle of the wedding, the wine runs out. This is like having people over to a barbecue and and half of the line, you have to say, hey, we ran out of hot dogs and hamburgers, sorry. 
For a Jewish wedding, some commentators say they would talk about this forever. This was embarrassing. This was something that should not happen in a wedding. When you're supposed to be giving people something, you find that you have nothing to give them, that your jars are empty. And I thought about that for a moment, and I thought to myself, you know, sometimes we end up like that at unusual inconvenient times in our life where we're supposed to be giving something to people, but we reach deep inside and realize I have nothing to give when I'm supposed to be giving. This was a big day that this girl had dreamed about forever. Every young girl does. She probably had dreamed about it since she was 12 years old, pranced down her living room with her makeshift bride gown, dreamed about what she would look like, had been to weddings like every young girl does, imagining herself as that pretty bride standing in front of the groom, every eye glued on her thinking she's gorgeous today. She imagined the flowers and walking down and the people and the celebration and how the groom would look at her. But this girl had dreamed, this was supposed to be a day of fullness, a day where she was happy, a day that was full, but she finds that she's got to give her guests something that she doesn't have. Her jars are empty. I believe that a lot of us live life somewhat like that. This expectation that this is supposed to be the greatest season of your life, yet it feels like it's not. That emptiness of what's wrong, is something missing? This is supposed to be a happy time, but my inner expectation does not match my outer reality. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just nod at me. And I believe that Jesus tells this story because there's something powerful about this story. I mean, I know that sometimes what you envision always doesn't match up to reality. I was thinking about this. I've done a lot of weddings. I've kind of lost count of how many weddings I've done. But years ago, it was probably my second or third wedding I had done. I'm 21 years old, new pastor, not really used to doing weddings, a little bit nervous, probably more nervous than the bride and the groom. I have my mullet haircut and, uh, you know, it's way back then. I'm, I'm standing, I'm finally marrying this young couple that's about my age. And so they're a little bit nervous standing in front of me. The chapel is packed. I have my Bible. I open it up. I'm looking for the vows. It's about to start and I can't find my vows. I turn the pages expecting that it'll be in my Bible. I think I turn from Genesis to Revelation, still can't find my vows. I think the bride and groom thought I was looking for a passage to preach on. I was kind of getting panicky. And then finally I said, excuse me just a moment. And I walked out to the stage and went back into the office of the church and left the bride and groom in front of everybody just looking. I opened up all the drawers in the back office. I looked through my books. I went through the papers and I couldn't find the vows. So I came out and I whispered to the groom, can't find the vows. So I just made up my vows. I mean, I did it as good as I could remember, but these were 
powerful. You know, the normal vow says to love and to cherish, be faithful to this woman. And I basically took it to the next level and said, you're not going to sleep with anybody else, not have sex with anybody else, not look at any other woman, faithful only to her. I mean, these were like ramped up steroid vows. The groom was kind of like looking at me like, whoa, this is a high commitment. I just sort of did my interpretation of the vows. They're still married, by the way. But, you know, it wasn't the way this bride expected it to turn out. The pastor wasn't supposed to leave the stage. It, the vows were supposed to be different. So sometimes our, our reality doesn't match our inner expectation. This woman, the wine ran out. It was embarrassing. She was supposed to be full, but she was running on empty. And I believe that can happen to any of us at any times. And some of you are living in a mental expectation that you had, but your reality doesn't match what you expected this season to look like. You're listening to Mark Job here on Bold Steps Weekend. To hear this message again or to listen to any of Mark's previous series in our growing archive of messages, visit us online at boldstepsweekend.org. Now, one feature of our website is Ask a Question. And when you pose a question, it goes to Pastor Mark, who answers some of them here on the radio. You can ask your questions at boldstepsweekend.org. Mark, here's a question from a listener. Pastor Mark, you recently taught from the parable in Luke 16, the owner and the manager, and I was so convicted because I didn't know I was supposed to be strategic and shrewd for God's kingdom. <laughs> yeah, it's a great parable, and it really teaches us that concept that we are supposed to be strategic and shrewd about what God has entrusted to us. Mm -hmm. And I think this listener is referring maybe primarily to finances in this, but I would say this. God has entrusted every individual with a different measure of stewardship, some with little, some with a lot, uh, some with oranges, some with apples. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a varying degree of stewardship. And I do believe that he gives us a certain degree of latitude to say, how will you use this mm -hmm. for my kingdom? And uh, when it comes to finances, you've heard me teach about this before. I practice the 10, 10, 80. Give 10, save 10, live on 80. Get out of debt and shrewdly begin to manage your finances so it has a kingdom impact and so that you're not living as a slave to uh, the people that you owe things to. Get out as soon as possible. So yes, I would encourage you to shrewdly manage your finances so that you can operate with great freedom for the kingdom of God. Yeah, and thanks to that listener for sharing her reaction to the message. You can share a question or a reaction at Ask a Question on our website. It's on the left side of our website, boldstepsweekend.org. Thank you, Mark. Now, let's go back to the second half of today's study. We're moving past empty on Bold Steps Weekend. Number two. Not only can we experience emptiness and unexpected seasons of our life, but I want you to understand that we start breaking the cycle of empty the moment that we invite Jesus into our empty challenge. The Bible says that Jesus' mother said to him when she found out that they had run out of wine, they have no more wine. 
Jesus says to his mother, woman, it's not a disrespectful term. It's like kind of saying, mom, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you to. I want you to see in this passage something really interesting. Jesus was at the wedding, but no one had yet invited him into the problem. I believe that sometimes you have Jesus around you in life, but the problem is that many times we don't invite Jesus into our emptiness. He's there, he's around, he has the power, but someone has to believe that this Jesus, the Son of God, this powerful Savior with the power of the Holy Spirit, that he has the power actually to change things around and invite him into your emptiness. Some of us are used to a church Jesus, a Jesus that looks very stale, stagnant, and impotent, a Jesus that hangs on a wall, but not a living, powerful, dynamic Savior. Someone like Mary has to realize, hey, I know this man. His disciples didn't even know the power of Jesus yet. They were following him, but they had not really seen any miracles that he could do. They hadn't seen his glory yet. And I feel like some people that I run into, you haven't seen the glory of the living Jesus yet. You're not inviting him into your problem because you really don't know how powerful he is. You think he's limited to the religious circles, not to the real life circles. And so Mary understood Jesus. She knew the story behind Jesus. And so she invites Jesus into this problem. She's kind of a typical mother, right? They run out of wine. Don't worry, my son will handle it. Jesus, come on, can you do something about it? Anybody have mothers like that? The neighbor's car breaks down. You say, Mom, Mom, I, no, 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 you know how to fix it. My son knows how to fix it. Son, go fix it. Mom. So Jesus goes. He's invited into the problem of emptiness that exists there. And I want you to notice the phrase that makes a difference in this passage Jesus' mother says, do whatever he tells you to do. You see, the turnaround comes when you stop telling God what you think he should do and when you start asking him what he wants you to do. Oh, no, I'm talking to someone here. I know that. You see, there's a big difference between telling God what to do and inviting God to tell you what to do. Many of us have that relationship with God. You're in a jam, you're in a difficult circumstance and you pray telling God what to do. And you feel like your prayers aren't really answered, that God's not doing what you've told him to do. But let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. There's a sovereign God of the universe that reigns on high, whose foolishness is higher than our highest wisdom. The sovereign God of the universe who expects you to say, hey, I put my life on pause. What do you want me to do, God? When's the last time you've asked God that? Not God do this for me, but when's the last time you said, God, I'm listening, I'm here. What do you want me to do in the middle of this emptiness crisis? I've done some marital counseling uh, a lot in the past. I don't do as much now, but I've been invited into some 
marriage difficulties where I will sit down at the table with a couple that's having difficulty. And I remember in one occasion specifically that I had been invited into a marriage problem. They were, you, you know they're not happy with each other when there's a space between them. And they kind of face a little bit like this. And so I said, I'm okay, I'm willing to sit down. Uh, let's talk a little bit about it. And the man immediately jumped in. Pastor, you need to tell my wife that she needs to stop nagging me so much and she needs to get behind me. And Pastor, you need to tell her that I need someone to support me and someone to back me. You need to tell her that she can't be tearing me down all the time, that I need someone in my corner. And Pastor, you need to tell her. After a while, I said, hold on, who's the counselor here? Because I thought I was the counselor. And you just spent the next, you spent the last 15 minutes telling what, me what I need to tell your wife. When you invite God into the situation, a counselor is of no good if you're telling the counselor what to tell the other person. And some of us treat God that way. You're telling God what to do with your circumstance, but you're not listening to what God has to tell you about what you need to do about your circumstance. There needs to be an invitation of the presence of God into your circle of emptiness. And can I tell you this about God? He has a propensity, a proclivity, an inclination for people to walk in fullness and not emptiness. In fact, I look at the nature of God and his nature is not for you to live empty. His nature, over and over he tells us in scripture, is that you would experience fullness in your life. John 10, 10, if you're taking notes, jot this down. You need to know this verse, understand it, because the essence of this verse is so encouraging. John 10, 10, the thief comes in order to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your destiny. He comes to kill the God-given dreams, who God has called you to be, and he comes to destroy everything that God has engineered you to be. That's what the thief comes to do, the enemy. But what does Jesus come to do? This is Jesus speaking. I came that you may have and enjoy life. Say it together, life. And have it in abundance. And the Amplified Version says, to the full till it overflows. I love that. Jesus said, I have come that you would have life, not just survival life, but life abundantly to the full and overflowing. That is my purpose and destiny and desire for everybody that calls upon my name, for those that are called according to my purposes, who I have engineered. I want you to be full and overflowing with my presence, my joy. That's his destiny for you. Look at what it tells us in John chapter one, verse 16. For of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace is something that we don't deserve, but he gives us. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Here's what I want you to know. God has created 
engineered you, designed you, made you, not to operate in survival empty mode, but to operate in fullness mode. You're listening to Bold Steps Weekend, the Bible teaching ministry of Mark Job. Did you know there's a variety of ways you can listen to this program? All of our messages are archived online at boldstepsweekend.org, and you can listen whenever and wherever it's convenient. And you can also find us on several social media platforms. Just log into your Facebook or Instagram account and search for Bold Steps. This daily program and these social media platforms are made possible by the generous financial gifts of listeners like you, who believe that people all around the country need to hear Mark's bold and passionate Bible teaching. And when you commit to giving a monthly gift, we'll add your name to our growing list of bold partners. Help shoulder the financial responsibilities of this radio ministry so that we can reach people all around the world, like this listener who wrote in to tell us, I was listening to a small portion of the message recently, and it got me really encouraged to begin a ministry of spreading hope and commissioning the gospel. I'm alone right now, but I want to make bold steps for the saving of souls. I know it's God's Holy Spirit who does the work in conversion, but I am the vessel with the beautiful feet. Mark's sermons have given me hope and encouragement that believers are bringing light to the darkness. What an amazing letter. If you're not part of the team, let me invite you to take your next bold step and join us. Call us at 866-535-5580. That's 866-535-5580. Or sign up online at boldstepsweekend.org. And today, when you sign up to give a monthly gift, or if you give a one-time gift of any amount to support Bold Steps Weekend, we'll say thanks by sending you a copy of our latest Bold Action Gift. It's a book by Hannah Anderson called All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. Learn how true discernment is simply about developing a taste for knowing what God calls good. Ask for this book, All That's Good, when you contact us. Go to boldstepsweekend.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd. On behalf of the entire team, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.